0: Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Dalston Road, Walmsby Heights, Sydney, Australia.
1: So if you want to turn in your Bibles, or you can read uh, behind me, from John 11, we're going to start reading from verse 25 and going through to verse 35. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said
0: Just had uh, read for us a little bit from John chapter 11. We also, of course, saw a bit of the video from John chapter 11, and we're speaking this morning on sort of the entirety of that story that we find there. Uh, For our youth that have uh, stayed in this morning, I'll also give you the challenge, your call, you can pick. Uh, any of the verses in John chapter 11 to be your memory verse for today, uh, your call, which one you want to go for, uh, and Andy will definitely want to hear about that at the end. Of course, it is a powerful story. There's lots going on, uh, and, and I allude to uh, that center verse, that key verse, the important verse that simply reads, Jesus wept this powerful narrative of Jesus bringing a man by the name of Lazarus back to life. And it says in verse 43, uh, a little bit after what we've just heard, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And Lazarus came back alive alive. This supernatural event is, at least in the narrative of John, one of the final actions of Jesus as he heads uh, for the final time towards Jerusalem. And the events in this story both uh, solidify—they both solidifies both extreme uh, support for Jesus, but also importantly uh, solidifies some major opposition to Jesus, this opposition that has been coming against Jesus uh, as he goes around doing his ministry, an opposition that is beginning to conspire about how they might get rid of him, how they might eliminate him, how they might uh, make what he is doing no longer happen. And that conspiracy we read and know is one that ultimately resulted in Jesus dying on a wooden Roman cross. And I figured this morning with Good Friday, less than three weeks away, uh, that I would propose to us this morning that this remarkable story about Lazarus coming back alive might give us some signposts to understand, I think, both God's character and his mission displayed in the Easter story. But I think it also might uh, perhaps challenge us about how we think about the world that we live in today. And amongst all of this, I think that we might also consider the important question as to why Jesus, as to why Jesus would ever need to or want to cry. Let's pray again. God, we thank you that you have sent Jesus into the world, that uh, you didn't just leave us stranded as we come towards uh, Easter and as we consider uh, the important uh, actions that you have made into human history. Lord, I pray this morning that you uh, would speak to us, that you would challenge us about the way that we receive in faith what you've done to us in Jesus and that you would challenge us also about how we respond and react to things in this world uh, not being quite right in Jesus' name. Amen. In the children's book by Ralph uh, Buchko titled, Something Is Not Quite Right, the main character in the story, Lisa, begins to notice that something isn't quite right as she goes about her day. And as you look uh, on the picture behind me, uh, there's lots of pictures like this. As uh, Lisa goes about her day, uh, progresses throughout her day, you begin to notice that actually a lot of things aren't quite right. I wonder with the image behind me what you can see that uh, isn't right. For me, my eyes were drawn to the fish in the toaster, perhaps the shoes in the fridge, uh, it's one of those things, uh, it looks okay on first glance, but the closer you look, the more you realise, well, something really isn't quite right. And in the conclusion of this uh, epic tale, uh, Lisa figures out what is not quite right. Uh, and as we get to, uh, uh, skip to the final page, spoiler alert, uh She realises that what is not quite right, she's been wearing two different socks uh, all day long, and it says, well, well, Lisa sighs happily, I knew something was not quite right. I wonder if you too have noticed in the world that we live in that something is not quite right, a different story, a different type of story, uh, where the main character, Truman Burbank, uh, began to suspect that in his world, something wasn't quite right. In the world that he lived in, something just wasn't adding up. And we're going to watch a short clip on the screen now. We'll leave it there. good news is uh, sound not required to get the main gist of uh, there being something not quite right. In that story, uh, in, in the Truman Show movie, uh, he was the only one who didn't know that the whole world that he lived in was an artificial construct uh, and that since birth he had been the star of a reality TV show, uh, unbeknownst to him, but he does start to suspect, he starts to notice things aren't adding up. He's listening to the radio one day and, and, and the voice on the radio is literally just describing everything that he does. Uh, he, he starts to notice that the vehicles going around his street are almost too regular, same time, every time. And also, of course, uh, as we saw on that clip, Uh, At a certain point, a stage light falls out of the sky and crashes. Something was not quite right. And again, I ask, I wonder in the world that we live in, if you have noticed that something isn't quite right. The Bible tells us that the world that we live in was created by God as good. And while that goodness is still absolutely uh, reflected around us, The world that we live in is also tarnished and broken by human sin. Things are not uh, as they were meant to be. Death and sickness and pain and turmoil, war and famine and suffering, broken relationships marked by violence and betrayal and inequality and disrespect, all of these things and many more are the fish in the toaster, the shoes in the fridge, the stage light falling from the sky that we should notice and look at and go, this isn't quite right, this doesn't seem like how it's supposed to be. And the reason why we notice that, the reason why it doesn't sit right with us, the reason why those things hurt so badly is because they aren't as they are supposed to be. Our current reality uh, isn't quite Right, to put it gently and to put it perhaps more accurately, it is utterly and brutally damaged. No one person in the history of the world would have felt this about our world more than Jesus. Jesus, who was present at creation, whose entry into the world as a human being was a direct uh, divine response to the fall of humanity. He came and he lived as one of us, knowing that ultimately, in order to save us, he would die as one of us. The one that was there when it was created as good, coming into the world, seeing the world, experiencing the world, feeling our grief, knowing our experience and seeing firsthand how much it wasn't as it was meant to be. And as uh, I go through this story in John chapter 11 very uh, quickly, I wonder if you, like the pictures that were on the screen, you can also notice in this story all of the things that Jesus would have felt within him and noticed that weren't quite right. Well, the story opens with a message arriving to Jesus, of course, And the message is your good friend Lazarus is ill, seriously ill, so ill that he may die soon. And perhaps to the surprise of those around him, Jesus doesn't rush to Lazarus' side. He doesn't uh, make a direct route towards him. But he does assure those around him that the end of Lazarus' story will not be his death. And actually, he, at one point, he describes to them that Lazarus' death, he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, hinting at the miracle to come. He's just asleep. We're going to go and, and, and fix a problem, but it's, it's a problem for, for Jesus anyway, akin to someone just being asleep. When Jesus uses this language, however, causes confusion amongst his disciples. First, they're wondering why didn't we, why aren't we rushing to get there? And then Jesus is saying, Oh, he's just asleep, we'll go and fix that. And they think, well, you don't need, you're not needed for this problem. Anybody can be the alarm clock to fix this problem. That's a miracle that any ordinary person could perform. But then the news comes that, well, Lazarus has actually died. And on arrival, they find out that actually he's been dead for four days four days of grief and pain and suffering, especially for Mary and Martha in this story, who in both of their individual ways in the story are provoked to suggest to Jesus, if you had just rushed, if you just got here on time, you could have done something about this. We sent news to you so that you could perhaps come and fix this problem. It's too late now, Jesus. The fact that Lazarus had been dead for four days was significant. Uh, At the time, there was a Jewish superstition that went like this, that when a person died, their soul would leave their body. But for three days, that soul would sort of hover around and cling to the body and the area of the body. The superstition meant that uh, when a story would come that someone was raised from the dead, if it happened within that first three days, it was still like a mind-bending miracle. It was still like something that you would never, ever see. But at least within the framework, the lens of their superstition, it sort of made sense. It sort of seemed uh, not possible, but more possible than you might think. And I think it's here where we find out why Jesus deliberately uh, chose to be four days late rather than two days late because a resurrection after two days would still be mind bending like I said but for Jesus to do what he did for Lazarus after four days this was to be his miracle of miracles this was to be his stake in the ground to show people I am the one who is the resurrection and the life this is something that only God Almighty could do Jesus' conversation with Martha, Martha, we saw it uh, depicted in the cartoon on the screen, as they progress towards the tomb is significant. She's racked with, 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 I think, anger and pain and grief, but she still believes in Jesus. Amongst her pain, amongst her hurt, she still has a, a thread, a, a belief, a faith in Jesus. And she says, yes, I know that, yes, the resurrection will happen on the last day. Yes, I know that when judgment day comes, whatever that looks like. Yes, I know, Jesus, theoretically, uh, my theology strong Jesus. I know that that will occur. And Jesus says to her the significant words uh, about the resurrection. Well, okay, but this is the truth. I am the resurrection and the life saying to Martha and saying to all of us, the resurrection of the dead, people coming back alive on the last day, death not being the end, doesn't happen on Judgment Day because it's Judgment Day. It doesn't happen because of the day. It doesn't happen because it's the last day. It happens because Jesus is the one who makes it happen. And in order, I think, as we consider Easter coming up, in order to signpost his own resurrection on Easter Sunday and to make it clear that it is him whom we can put all of our hope in, He has already planned that for God's glory, he's going to wake Lazarus up. And I think it's in the next few verses in John chapter 11, uh, 32-ish onwards, that's my favourite part of the story. It's my favourite part of the story because it's it's this middle part of the story where it's like good theology, good understanding, knowledge uh, and, and explainable knowledge about who God is and what everything means comes face to face with the mess of human grief. Both of those things intersect and come together. That's why in verse 32 it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Can you sense the anger, the hurt, the frustration, the the four days of tears the exasperation, falling to it, She can't believe it. She's, she's just so devastated. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, when he saw the Jews who would also come along with her weeping, it says, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus cries. Jesus is moved to tears. And so I wonder this morning, why does Jesus weep? Why does Jesus cry here? Because uh, as I read the story, he's he's already said that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's why I read the ending at the start, because he knows that that's going to happen. This is is not just some ordinary person. This is the son of God. This is, as Mark talked about last week, the one who exists inside and outside of time come as a human being. He knows what's going to happen. He doesn't just have good theology. He's got the knowledge. He's got the assurance. And yet, verse 35, Jesus wept. I want to suggest a few reasons for us to consider today. Well, Jesus, the Bible tells us, was both fully God and fully human, not part God, part human, not just like a bit mixed in. Fully God and fully human. And in his humanity, we have to remember Lazarus was his friend, described at the start of the story as the one that you love. Your good friend, Jesus, Lazarus. He's sick, he's dying, He's died. So even though he knew of the miracle to come, in his humanity, it still grieved him deeply to see, I think, the tomb of his dead friend. We also consider the people who are around the scene the other people who are grieving and hurting. We see in the story Jesus, I think, moved to a deep compassion for those who were feeling pain, who were mourning, who were grieving. It hurt Jesus to see a deep grief and pain in those who loved Lazarus, especially his sisters. Their pain and their suffering moved him. Their pain and their suffering wounded him. He empathised with their pain and it broke his heart. There's also the aspect here as we consider the things in this story that aren't quite right, that even in his empathy, even in his broken heart for people grieving, We're told also that he was troubled by their lack of faith. This for him was another thing that was not quite right. So when Jesus met Martha at the burial site, he told her that he was going to resurrect him. He's told the disciples, okay, I'm going to go and wake him up. This is going to be a miracle. It's going to be for God's glory. Okay, not only has he presented who he is for three years and more about who he is, who what his power is, uh, he's even at the start of the story given them the ending. He's, he's told them what's going to happen. And still they're going, if you only got here earlier, Jesus, we could have sorted all of this out. Bible tells us that Jesus was troubled. Uh, there's, a, there's an aspect here that we must understand. He was, he, the, the, the scene that was before him uh, caused an anger in him, an anger that you might relate to when you're looking around and thinking this isn't, this isn't right. This What I'm looking at right now, what I'm experiencing right now is just so wrong on so many levels. And one of those levels was that even after everything that he had done, even after everything that he had shown them, they're still thinking that he's somehow constrained by being a few days late. And so even as he is influenced by a deep grief, this lack of faith was also within the category of things that weren't quite right. The whole situation before Jesus was just wrong. God created the world and it was good. And the scene before Jesus was not. It was a scene of death and pain and grief and confusion and disbelief and anger. It was all wrong and Jesus wept. And so as Jesus turned towards Jerusalem and the cross of Good Friday, I wonder what we might take from this story as we perhaps start to turn our attention towards Easter in a couple of weeks. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his followers, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who grieve. In some translations, happy are those who are unhappy. The reason why Jesus says this is because uh, he calls his followers, he calls us to be as he is, to see the world as he sees, to see the good absolutely, but also not to be blind to the things that aren't quite right, to not just like uh, turn, uh, turn our faces away, not just squint our eyes, not make it all blurry so we don't have to deal with the things that aren't right, but to see them as they are, to be awake to the brokenness and the pain of human experience. Mourning and grief and tears, I think, are often the appropriate response to the suffering that exists in this world. And this response can be from those who suffer, but it can also be from those who are comfortable, who are in a season of life where everything's going along well. It's just that I think those who suffer, those who are going through a hard time, those who are in the midst of experiencing things like we see in this story, like confusion and grief and pain and loss, those people and all of us in our life will be those people at times. In those moments, you know, you know, you know in those moments, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't right, this isn't as it should be. You feel it deep within yourself. This isn't as it's supposed to be. Those who mourn, I think, see the world in some ways for what it really is. And I think Jesus' tears in the story from today tell us that sometimes just sitting in the raw emotion of a moment can be a right and reasonable thing to do. Many of us, I think, are so tempted to be uh, either perhaps fixers or explainers. Uh, There's a stereotype about men that instead of listening, right, they just want to fix. But there's also, I think, a stereotype uh, about Christians that instead of just sitting in the moment and feeling pain. We want to be so quick to start explaining, so quick to start putting things in context, so quick to to give perspective and and make sure that even in our pain or even in someone else's pain, we make sure that the circumstance is, is, is also doused with the right amount of correct theology and Bible understanding. We're so tempted to Just make sure, yeah, yeah. but I I know Jesus is coming back one day. I know it's going to be okay. Yes, I know Jesus uh, raised from the dead. But in this story, Jesus takes a moment, even though he knows what's going to happen in the story, even though he knows that he is the resurrection in the life, he takes a moment in this story to weep. He takes a moment in this story to go and to feel and to experience. This isn't quite right. And so when someone else in our world is hurting, when someone else in our world is in pain, I wonder if we can get better at putting ourselves in their shoes. I wonder if we can get better at just listening. I wonder if we can get better at understanding. I know that I can definitely get a lot better at doing some of those things, at simply sitting uh, with somebody in their pain and feeling the parts of their journey that are hard. I wonder if we as a church can in certain moments resist the temptation to be the know-it-all and to instead say with our brothers and sisters as they hurt and say, yeah, you know what, that is hard. That sucks. I'm sorry that life isn't quite right at the moment. I wonder if we could do that with the people that we experience, the people that we come across. That even though we know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, even though we know that our hope is built on a firm foundation, even though we know that after Good Friday comes Easter Sunday, even though we know that Jesus is and will be victorious over sin and death and the devil, and even though we know that there is a promise that in our pain that one day Jesus will come and he will wipe every single tear from every single eye, even though we know that, I wonder if this morning we would also know that it is okay and appropriate to still shed those tears in the first place. That on this side of eternity that is actually sometimes appropriate to notice and see and be moved emotionally by the fact that things aren't quite right. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to be a people who uh, are compassionate, help us to be a people who see, help us, uh, Lord, to be a people that know um, how to place ourselves in the pain of others. We thank you for the example of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you, as you sent him to Mary and Martha and ultimately for Lazarus in that story, that you also sent him for us. Lord, I pray we'd be a church that would be uh, full of faith. You've told us the ending, Lord, and we're sorry for the times that we doubt it. So, Lord, uh, as we might be filled with faith, Lord, may we also know that it's okay to be filled with faith, but also filled with pain. And meet us, Lord, in that faith and in that pain today. In Jesus' name, amen.